Do you have aspirations to be a leader in your business or organization? Welcome to Leadership Stars with your host, Linda Patton. Each week, we feature true leaders recognized in their fields who provide insight and ideas in creating a strong team and how you can become an effective leader. Now, here is Linda Patton. Welcome to this episode of Leadership Stars, and I am so excited to have you all with us today because I have a woman who has empowered me and has definitely inspired me in so many different ways. She has such a varied background, and she's passionate about a couple of very key areas that we're going to talk about today. And she's a former university associate provost and dean. She's a trained therapist. She's a researcher. And I'm so proud of her. She's a recently published author and playwright. And I'd love you to welcome the amazing Dr. Carol Langlois. Carol, it's good to have you on the show. Hi, Linda. Thank you so much. I wish you could introduce me every time I'm being interviewed because that was lovely. Thank you so oh, much. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, Carol, we, we've had several conversations and I'm really impressed with everything that you're doing and, and how you're empowering others as well as um, giving them that opportunity to actually step into who they are. But I'd like to know, you know how did you get from being a university provost and dean to writing books and plays. Yeah, sure. Um, So I guess we'd have to take a few steps back when I was working on my master's degree in uh, counseling psychology to be a therapist. I had to do my practicum hours and the population I wanted to work with were actual college students. Mm. I really enjoyed that age group and a lot of the challenges that they face. So I ended up um, setting up camp in one of the departments and just letting the students know, hey, if they'd like to talk with me, you know, for practicum hours, it's free counseling, free therapy. Uh, we could have some conversations. And it was really interesting because you see a lot of uh, consistent issues or challenges on a college campus around adjusting. You see Mm -hmm. issues of identity. You see issues of um, eating disorders. You see sometimes uh, binge drinking related to kind of anxiety and separation and just a general sense of people not knowing how to handle this newfound freedom away from home. Mm -hmm. So I knew I would have my hands full with all those topics, but what I didn't realize is that once we got to say the third session or maybe the fourth the majority of the females that I worked with started talking about self-esteem and Mm. I thought huh this is interesting we started talking about their roommate we started to then (laughs) drinking this that and the other and boom self-esteem so I started timing it and I started noticing that with my other um, clients the same thing they start talking about self-esteem and I thought okay there's more going on here than I realized so maybe we really really need to think about self-esteem before we start approaching some of those other issues around the anxiety the identity um, um, the confidence and the, the issues with drinking. So once I finished my master's um, and I started working at another university, I realized that I really wanted to go back and do my PhD. But what I wanted to do now is focus on self-esteem because I thought that that could really be kind of that you know tipping point area where mm-hmm. we could focus on that and then help all these women as they transition into college. So I decided to do my research on 15-year-old uh, teen girls, which is the point at which your self-esteem is, is um 
technically and research-based saying is the lowest. So I said, great, let me work with 15-year-old girls. So um, ended up working with them, writing the book, as you had mentioned. And to answer your question, once I finished at the university, I realized that I really missed kind of the one-on-one, the therapy with the girls. And I really wanted to get back to the research on that. And um, once I finished the dissertation, I thought, you know, I'd be crazy to ever go back and write anything else again because it's so time consuming. (laughs) But then I just realized how much I missed it and um, mm-hmm. miss the conversations with the teens around, you know, what they're doing and why and why does that happen and how do you define self-esteem and all that stuff. So that's what led me back to that, writing the book. And then um, from there, I was really fortunate in a theater company uh, reaching out to me and saying, hey, this is really cool what you're doing. We would love to put your characters on stage. And it that, really worked. Yeah. yeah. That is really amazing. Um, one question I had, though, for you, when you were um, doing the, quote, free um, therapy with with, yeah. the, with the college students and you know they'd start about adjustment and identity and eating disorders and binge drinking and anxiety and all that mm-hmm. and as you said it was like the third or fourth visit before they got to the self-esteem mm-hmm. so I guess my question I guess my question around that is are they ready in that first visit to talk about self-esteem or do they really need to ramp up to it by talking about the other things that are going on in their life Um, I think uh, for the majority of these students, they're coming in with uh, kind of the pain point. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I know I'm anxious, so let's talk about that. But that isn't necessarily the the catalyst that's creating that. You have to kind of step back and figure out what is really causing that. So I would say nine out of 10 times when someone comes in to sit down with me to talk about an issue that they present, it's really not about that issue. Mm -hmm. That is um, an area that is affected. No doubt, but there's usually a deeper issue. So I think for them, they didn't even realize it. And then Mm -hmm. I would start using certain language around how they're feeling about themselves, how do they feel in relation to their friends, those types of, you know, just bringing up topics like that, identity in their family. And then all of a sudden you'd hear, well, self-esteem or self-identity or self-concept. And I'd go, okay, here we go. And we would end up down that road. And a lot of times they'd even say to me, gosh, I didn't even know we were going to be talking about self-esteem. You know, and I would say, right. yeah, well, hey, here we are. And, you know, this is clearly kind of the crux of the issue. And then from there, we can focus on those other issues. Yeah, because that, that's what I would think is that um, going into any kind of a conversation around self, mm-hmm. um, you know, again, the challenges that you're having, are you, you know, overeating? Are you um, undereating or whatever it might be, that that's sort of how it manifests itself. Yeah. And that they really have to get comfortable with you as a therapist um, and asking those tough questions before they're willing to open up and say, yeah, it has to do with my self-worth, my self-esteem. You know, I, I just don't feel good enough or whatever it might be. And I think as a, a as a great uh, interviewer and therapist, you learn how to step through that minefield to get to that issue, right? Absolutely. And, you know, to take it one step further, when I interviewed teens for the book, I had one shot, I had 50 minutes with them. So I knew I had Mm. to start off fast. And I'd had I had to be able to get deep, rather quickly. So all of those interviews, I started with the same question. And that question was, how do you define self esteem? And then they would throw out a definition and we'd talk about it a little bit. And then from there, I would say, huh, okay, so based on your definition, do you have any friends that might be struggling with self-esteem based on how you defined it? Then they would start talking about, you know, a couple of friends' issues and challenges. And then from there, I could say, well, what about you? 
Right. How do you feel about your self-esteem? And then we could easily glide into that topic around them. I've already kind of established the question, built the relationship. They could, you know, a, a teen mm-hmm. can sniff out uh, an adult that isn't authentic in two seconds, you know, and, and they knew I was really interested and I really wanted to learn from them. So kind of slowly kind of guiding them in, but I didn't have a lot of time. So that would all take about 10 minutes and then we could really get to the good stuff. Okay. And did you any do any follow-on work with them, or was this strictly to help you write the book? It was strictly to help me write the book. Uh, it was interesting because I gave them all my email address and said, you're more than welcome to reach out, from, reach out to me. But it really wasn't appropriate for me outside of the context of the school. They were kids, you know, mm-hmm. to be consistently reaching out to them. So the waiver right. was signed by the parents that this was a one-shot deal to talk with me. Um, okay. Again, though, if they reached out, then I would have probably followed up and said, hey, you know, just make sure your parents know. And I would have been more than happy to answer any additional questions that they had. Okay. Um, and so is this how you started your work with teens and self, self-esteem? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, okay. it was it was uh, really fun. I actually reached out to, gosh, um, probably over 40 high schools in the Bay Area and said, this is who I am. This is my background. I would love to do some interviews with your female students on self-esteem, what they thought about self-esteem. I'm writing a book um, and I would love for your, you know, for your school, for your students to be a part of this. And then I told the schools that if they could allow me in to interview any of their students, I would be happy to come back and give them baseline data based on what the girls were telling me. I certainly wouldn't tell them about particular students or challenges of a particular student, but if there were consistent themes going on in the culture Mm -hmm. of the school, I was more than happy to give that information to them so that they could figure out ways to kind of help their students in relation to um, their health, their confidence, uh, building a stronger, better community. Okay, that's amazing. And so how many of the those 40 schools took you up on this? Wow, um, I would say almost all 40 responded back and said, this sounds great, we love it. A good handful said, we have no way to manage this for you. You know, like Ooh. we're short on staff. Um, and I would even say, look, I couldn't kind of come in and kind of figure it out. And they said, because of the way the class schedules are set, we really need somebody who could sit down and figure out how to pull the girls. So mm-hmm. I didn't want to be a burden. Also, the timing. I did have some schools that were on a different system. So I interviewed at private, public, charter, and all-female. So some of these schools were on a different um, time frame. Mm -hmm. So I reached out to a few that said, this time frame isn't going to work for us because we're going into midterms or we're going into finals or our program is project-based and the girls won't even be around because they're going to be off doing projects kind of thing. So I would say the majority responded all positively and said, this sounds like really great work. And then I would say probably a good 25 said, we want to work with you. How do we figure this out? And then from there, I took phone calls. I met with counselors, principals, and I wanted to make it as easy for them as possible. You know, I would say, put me in a closet. I don't care. I just need a t- I just need my tape recorder. You let me know where to f- where to meet the females that have signed up for you know the time to spend with me. I will go mm-hmm. get them. You know I will abide by any of your rules because I just didn't want it to be um, a barrier. Right, right. Um, and did you find that there were common themes around those different types of schools? Yeah, there were definitely common themes. Um, Obviously, in this day and age with social media, a lot came up around um, bullying in terms Mm -hmm. of social media, in terms of Facebook, in terms of uh, Twitter, in terms of Instagram. Um, Girls really kind of talked to me about the subtleties of other girls' 
you know, putting them down or they call it like slamming them on mm-hmm. Facebook or on Twitter. Now you can do it on Snapchat in really sly ways, you know, mm-hmm. and, and it was just fascinating for me to kind of be a fly on the wall and just, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? Like the, that's what they do. And, you know, just kind of talking through it and saying how it's gotten ridiculous and all of this kind of bullying um, via social media and the lack of kind of interpersonal communication was another big issue that came up and how they have a really hard time with any level of conflict now that everything is kind of a text away. Mm-hmm. Um, that was interesting. And then, you know, the the typical topics similar to what I had mentioned in the counseling sessions, um, eating disorders, issues and challenges around dealing with their parents. Some of the girls um, had a lot of anxiety around being successful. A lot mm. of things related to what I call the duck syndrome, which is um, wanting to appear to be kind of perfect on the outside, but on the inside, you're kind of scrambling, you're sweating, you're getting really, really anxious. So it's the visual is kind of watch the duck gliding along the water on the top. They look really calm and serene. And when you look under the water, their feet are pedaling, you know, a, a mile a minute. And a lot of the girls um, uh, dealt with that issue. So they wanted to come off as, you know, everything's cool. Everything's good. You know, I play three sports. I can do it all. I can get the A's. <laughs> I've got the boyfriend, you know. But once they got in the room and they started talking to me, you know, they would talk about, you know, you never let them see you sweat. You never show your weaknesses. You know, you never, you know, talk about things that are bothering you. I only go so far when I'm talking about family issues. And I kept saying, why? Like, if these are your good friends, why? And it was this weird, um, you never know what someone could use against you. And I Mm -hmm. think that that, again, ties back to this, you know, day and age of, you know, everything is written. You can hold on to texts and messages and tweets and, you know, use them against somebody down the road. And I just think it's unfortunate that that is one's mindset instead of being able to really open to their open up to their friends when they're dealing with an issue. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, do you find too, I mean, I've uh, personally, I find social media relationships to be very superficial um, and, you know, we don't dig deeper into people. And so you don't necessarily know what everyone else is, is like or thinking or whatever. But I think that the tragedy that there are two things that, that I found tragic. One is when a couple comes into a restaurant and they sit down to have dinner and they're texting, but they're texting each other <laughs> because they, they don't know how to carry on a conversation. Um, and that, that, one, it drives me nuts, but two, it, to me it's just very sad that that's sort of where they've gone, that texting is, is yeah the, the best way. The, <laughs> other, the other thing um, was a suicide hotline that, that I had um, heard about actually put in a text line because the teen potential suicides were not comfortable talking to a counselor. Mm-hmm. They really wanted to text instead. Yeah. Um, and I think that's just, it, it's a tenor of the time. And I think, yeah. it, but it's really, really sad, sad um, and uh, embarrassing in, in a lot of respects. Well, so I love the duck. I've heard, I've actually heard that as the swan oh, syndrome. Okay. Yeah. Swan syndrome. I like it. Yeah, swans look so elegant above the water, but their feet are moving as fast as their little legs can handle it. Yeah, completely. And, you know, to kind of bounce off of what you just said, one of the things that I found sad in the conversations with the girls related to social media is the lack of courtship. 
You know, mm. I, you know, I, I'm not a hundred years old, you know, but I mean, in high school, you know, if a boy liked you, he would come over and talk to you, maybe pass you a note, meet you at your locker, you know, you would walk to class together, you know, there was a, a particular process and then they might call you at home, you know, ask you out, you know, those types of things. And now it's just these random, you know, oh, we're friends on Facebook. Oh, I liked um, these four pictures of his. So he knows that I like him. Oh, okay. And then he just randomly will, um, you know, like send a message, a text or something, and all of a sudden they're dating. Right. You know, and I'm thinking, this is so weird. And Carol, let's talk more about that in the next segment. And sure. audience, I want you to think about the... This, you're, if you've got teens, you know, how are they manifesting? Are they manifesting like the swan? Are you seeing any of that? And if so, let's look at what we might be able to do about that. And we'll be right back. You're tuned to the Voice America Women's Channel. Leading the way for your success. Have you left your corporate or military career to start your own business? Are you frustrated that you're not seeing the success you expected as an entrepreneur? Let leadership expert Linda Patton show you the key skills and mindset you need to engage your team, build your influence, and create the thriving business of your dreams. Linda Patton understands the challenges and frustrations facing a new business owner. Drawing from her own 40 years of experience in the military, corporate, government, and entrepreneurial arenas. That's why it's become Linda's life work to help women like you truly become the world-changing, extraordinary leaders you are meant to be. Are you ready to step in, step up, and step out into leadership to create an exceptional business and life? Start by scheduling a free 30-minute strategy session with Linda Patton. Contact her at Linda at Dare to Lead with Linda.com. That's Linda at Dare, the number two, lead with Linda.com. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Linda Patton draws from her four decades of leadership experience and her heartfelt passion to show women how to lead, dream, and create what inspires them. Her signature training programs and workshops will guide you through the key skills you need to own your leadership power, build your resources, plan your path, and take the actions that will translate your vision into reality. Start by scheduling a free, no-obligation, 30-minute strategy session with Linda Patton. Contact her at Linda at dare to dream with Linda.com. That's Linda at dare, the number two, dream with Linda.com. Voice America Women. Your passion starts here. You are listening to Leadership Stars with Linda Patton. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-613-1612. That's 1-866-613-1612. You may also send an email to Linda at daretoleadwithlinda.com. Now, 
Back to Leadership Stars. Welcome back to Leadership Stars and my guest this this wonderful episode with Carol Lengua. And I, I, I love I love the pronunciation of your name. It just, it just <laughs> well, rolls you. off the tongue. So we were talking about um, putting text lines in suicide hotlines, uh, being you know having a really superficial relationship with someone and texting uh, at dinner, and how tragic that is um, and Carol you, you were saying uh, and during the break some of the things that you miss when you don't hear their voices um, during that yeah. kind of situation would you share that with the audience sure absolutely I think you know when you're um, when you're texting or writing something there can still be a level of distance between you and what you're writing it doesn't become completely uh, quote real mm-hmm. but when you are talking with a therapist and you have to be completely open and raw and vulnerable it kind of brings you to a deeper place where you see that the therapist or whoever it is that you're choosing to, to speak with mm-hmm. is completely open they're non-judgmental it's someone who's right there connecting with you and then they're able to kind of talk through things with you and again saying it out loud can make it scary because it makes it more real but that is the only way you can really get to the heart of it and then move forward and solve it and then once you can get them over the hurdle of doing that once, they become more comfortable doing it, you know, again and again. Even when I work with teens, I do some therapy with teens, and when they'll tell me they're having a problem with a friend, and it's really like debilitating them, like they're they're losing sleep, they're not eating, I say to them, okay, I'm your friend. What do you want to say to me? Say it out loud. And they get very uncomfortable. I'm like, nope, then don't look at me if looking at me is making you more uncomfortable, (laughs) but let's practice. And they'll Mm -hmm. start practicing. And then I'll say, when you go home, you're going to practice in the mirror. And then when you're ready, you're going to talk to your friend. And I haven't had a teen come back to me and say, it went horribly wrong. They'll say, I did it. I felt comfortable. I got my point across. The, the solution may have not have been, may not have been exactly what they were looking for, but they felt better and confident in the fact that they were able to say it and get it off, you know, mm-hmm. get it off their shoulders and just feel better about it. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, and your book is uh, titled Girl Talk. Boys, Bullies, and Body Image? Yes. Is that right? Yes, it um, is. So did you have some particular stories that came out of your research that you'd like to share with the audience? Oh, yeah, sure. So um, as we mentioned, there were a lot of schools involved, and I had over 200 taped interviews. Wow. So uh, once I had those interviews, then I had to figure out what was the book going to look like? Was it going to be kind of compilations of issues, deal, you know, that the girls were facing? Mm-hmm. Or do I pick out certain stories, uh, themes? And then um, I ended up talking to a couple of editors who said, the, inter- the interview itself is really powerful. What if we just remove your voice, you know, as the interviewer, as the therapist, and we just create them as kind of like these first person, you know, narratives? And ah. I said, okay, let's, let's give it a shot. So basically, that's what we did. So as you read the chapters, you'll see it just reads as if the girl is kind of sharing her story. There are points at which you can tell she's prompted because she'll she'll like pose a question that you know has been posed to her by you know quote the invisible therapist that I mm-hmm. that I was for the process. Um, but um, I think it just it it just lends itself to like uh, a stronger sense of authenticity. So we I ended up having to s- cut everything down to just 10 stories. So you can imagine 200 interviews wow. and only 10 stories. So what I thought was important was 
a different type of voice. So I picked one girl dealing with issues around self-esteem, another one bullying, peer pressure, confidence, dating violence, um, cutting issues with parents, depression. Um, And then the last story is actually the culmination. And it's a story of a girl that I found to be um, incredibly well-adjusted, incredibly happy, living a really lovely teen life as she should. She wasn't perfect. We all have our issues and our flaws, but she was comfortable with them and could identify them and would say, hey, but I'm only 17, you know, mm-hmm. and you know, she was just happy with herself. But anyways, I would say one of the stories that really hit me and ended up being in the book um, was a girl in the book. I call her Faith. She made it in the book and she was just um, lovely, smart, serious, anxious, um, kind of all rolled up at the same time. And once I got to hear her story, she just really blew me away. She was this incredibly intelligent girl. She herself identified herself as um, coming from a, quote, not a wealthy family, um, living in a one-bedroom apartment with her parents, living in a bad part of town, uh, as she said, a part of town that is in the news a lot for bad things happening. She went to a private school and she had the top scholarship and she had to keep a four 4.0 GPA to maintain her scholarship, and she could completely do that. Um, but she was also just struggling with a sense of independence. Her parents were so um, cautious around um, her safety that it was basically go to school, go to the library, come home. Mm-hmm. Um, she needed more freedom, she wanted more freedom, but she understood the challenges that were going on in her family. So she had to be home at, you know, six o'clock. She would be home at six o'clock and trying to explain to her parents that, you know, it's okay if I go to this football game. <laughs> yeah, it's okay if I go to this soccer game. And them just being very concerned. Um, her parents were um, immigrants from another country and her mom worked two jobs. Her dad worked a night job. Um, so there were a lot of kind of, um, you know, family challenges and uh, cultural uh, issues that she was facing. So she was kind of, you know, half this girl living and being an American girl, but also kind of having one foot in the Philippines, which is where her parents were from. Mm. So it was really kind of a a challenge for her. But I think the piece that struck me the most is that she told me that she had actually been bullied, which I was completely shocked by. But the fact that she was bullied by a friend and she hung Mm. around with this girl (laughs) and this entire (laughs) clique kind of witnessed it and lived with it. And it was awkward and weird. And I just couldn't even comprehend how that could happen. And she herself said, I don't even know how it happened. I started paying more attention to a different girl in the group. That friend got angry. And instead of talking to her, she just started punching her or pushing her or pulling her hair or even like stabbing her with a pencil. Mm. The rest of the clique didn't know what to do. It was really awkward. And then the the kind of culmination of it was her mother actually witnessed it one day as she was bringing her to school, talked to her about it. She broke down crying. She had been just holding it in. And then it had to go to the principal. And then um, obviously it was brought to light at school. And it was it was just a really odd and sad story of of bullying. But you just don't expect someone to tell you that it was by a friend. Yeah. Well, and I think bullying, too, is, is almost insane insidious in this this that teen era um you know that you know we always had the mean girls you know mm-hmm. or the 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 girls who were extremely popular and they always felt that there was there was they, they were i almost want to say holier than thou 
um, and that you should bow down and, yeah. and above you know, the law. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so that they yeah. could do anything and no one would ever stop them because of who they were. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I agree. I think that's uh, it. it be, it's hidden. We don't want to talk about it. Um, it's embarrassing in some mm-hmm. respects. And I think the sad thing is when it actually goes so far that someone commits suicide or does something equally as, as dramatic to get away from it and to relieve that pressure and anxiety that comes from it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's basically why I wanted to do the play. Mm-hmm. I wanted to put that on stage so other teens could come and witness the stories of these teens and what they dealt with. And they could say, you know, I don't identify with, you know, this girl or this girl, but I really identify with this girl and what she went through. And just having it like played out on stage had an incredible impact on them. You know, after performances, I'd have teens walking up to me and saying, where do I get your book? And can I hug you? And how did you know those things? It, it was it was amazing and beautiful and surprising. I did not realize that the teens would feel comfortable enough to, to walk up to me after performances and, and talk to me. I think that's that's a real testament to who you are and what, what you've done and how in in essence, you've made it safe for them to talk yeah. about these things because generally they're, they're stuff that's hidden, that, you know, it's part of your wounding process and you don't share that with others. Mm-hmm. Um, did you also get um, stories about rape and that kind of thing as well or not so much? I didn't. Um, you know, again, these girls self-select, right? So mm-hmm. the girls right. that came to talk to me wanted to talk about self-esteem and wanted to talk about something. And they were probably curious, like, you know, who is this Dr. Carol? And, you know, what is this going to be all about? Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't get, you know, uh, s- those types of stories um, mm-hmm. that were incredibly violent. But I also have to say that I told the girls that because I am a trained therapist, that if they did share anything with me mm-hmm. about um, violence against them or them wanting to commit violence against someone else, I have to report it. I, right. I, ethically, I have to. So that, I, you know, I, it's hard to say, you know, mm-hmm. but, I, but I had a duty and a responsibility. You know, I did have one girl who was um, talking to me about uh, dating violence mm-hmm. and, you know, what happened there. And, you know, and she said, I just want to let you know, like, we've gone to the police. We're dealing with it. I have a therapist. You know, my parents are involved. So she knew, you know, yeah. what the, the legal implications were by telling me. And, you know, I give her so much credit. And for her, she said telling that story is really important for her to kind of grow stronger and, mm-hmm. and move beyond. It and she was hoping that that story would really um, help any other girls that are kind of in a similar situation because you know she was you know she was a popular girl she was a cheerleader you know she looked like she had it all together she was a good student she was friendly she had lots of friends and yet no one knew behind the scenes that her boyfriend was you know putting her down shoving her pushed her down a flight of stairs um, you know th- those types yeah. of things yeah and I think that also takes us back to the the lack of courtship is yeah. that. You know, it's almost like I I say hi, how are you? Let's go on a date. Let's have sex. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's sort of nothing in between. Um, there's no way to grow a relationship, to get to know each other, to know what's going on. It's it's all about the physical. Mm-hmm. Um, even yeah. his even his apologies were written. And oh. she'd said, you know, it would be a cycle and then I would get, you know, a dozen roses and a letter saying he was sorry. And I asked her point blank, has he ever said it to you face to face? And she had to stop and think. And she said, uh, no, no. But I mean, he writes it. He, he wrote it in notes. And she couldn't even identify that there is a huge difference between the two. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, so what was your biggest takeaway from the process of, of interviewing to writing the book and then converting the book from that to a play? Um, uh, I would say... I didn't know what was going to happen, right? When I closed the door and I had a teen in front of me, you know, a lot that you read about from parents, you know, they say, you know, my teen doesn't talk. It's really hard to get my teen to discuss this issue. How do we break the ice on these types of conversations? Obviously, when I'm doing therapy, straight therapy with a teen, we establish a certain type of relationship and then it's, you know, the therapeutic model kind of, you know, Mm -hmm. ensues kind of thing. But this was, these were interviews, you know, so I, I tried to set them up as, um, as well as I could to really put the empowerment on their lap. So I would say to them, you know, you're going to tell me about self-esteem. Um, you're going to take this conversation anywhere you want to go. If you don't want to talk about a topic, we don't talk about it. You want to tell me something you think is important? You do it. I said, if you want to change the topic, you go for it. You are completely in charge. You're in the driver's seat. And they would all go, oh, okay. And I think it gave them a real sense of like, oh, she really wants to hear what I have to say and, mm-hmm. um, and you know, kind of go on this journey with me. So I think the biggest aha moment for me in that was I couldn't get them to stop talking. I thought <laughs> that if we got to something that was a little uncomfortable, that they kind of like, you know, just like dropped on the plate in front of me. And I went, oh, interesting. Let's talk more about that. I thought that they would steer me away. And they didn't. They would dive deeper and deeper into all the topics. And most of them, when the bell rang, would say, I don't want to leave. I want to stay. I want to keep doing this. So I didn't realize that them just being interviewed by me was going to be cathartic for them. It makes Mm. sense, but I hadn't thought about that. I was really far more just appreciative. Thank you for kind of letting me into your world and answering these questions. But a lot of them said, no, thank you. No one has ever asked me these questions. No one has ever made me think about this stuff before. So it felt really good to know that, you know, I wasn't just kind of, you know, pulling stories from them, but it was helping them kind of think about their lives and it was therapeutic. Okay, I have two questions for you. One is, did you ever get the sense that any of those stories were not real, that they were just telling you what they thought you might want to hear? No, I felt that they were all incredibly genuine. And it was because, you know, it, it doesn't start off, you know, tell me what how you define self-esteem. What about your friend's self-esteem? What about yours? It, there's a little bit of awkwardness and mm-hmm. a little bit of Shall I say these three next words? And then let me see how Carol reacts to it. So you could tell by the give and take between us that we would eventually get to a place of a story. And just the way that they would recite it, you you could tell it was completely authentic and genuine. And then I would say, oh, my gosh, what happened with your parents? And then, you know, they would throw in something like, oh, my gosh, my dad was so mad. He had to pick us up and he didn't have his car because it was in the garage. You know, it, it was just they were just far too elaborate with yeah. details. And I could see kind of, you know, the pain on their face face, the horror on their face, the dis- <laughs> the, you know, the discomfort on their face, but they also at the same time felt comfortable sharing the story, which does sound kind of counterintuitive. Um, mm. But again, I think it's because I wasn't their mom. I'm not their teacher. You know, I'm not their therapist. I am just a woman here wanting to hear your story. And it was all anonymous. You know, when they told me who they were, it, it didn't matter. All I needed to know was what their age was and what grade they were in. So they could have been anybody. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, then there was another piece I was going to ask you. Um, I, having been a mom of two teenage girls and going through that, um, cycle as a mom and not as a therapist or an interviewer or whatever. It it can be extremely painful for the parents. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we have only about a minute before the, the break. Is there any quick tips for the parents in the audience of how to 
um, hand, uh, you know, yeah. bring this out and, and handle it? Yeah, or? absolutely. You know, I think one of the biggest issues when I talk to the teen and I say, did you tell your parents about this? A lot of them would say, my parents are busy. I, I, I don't want to bother them. I, literally, that's what they would say. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, you know, we only have like time at the dinner table and, you know, people are trying to eat and this and that. And, you know, so they felt that it wasn't important enough to share with their parents. So, you know, what I would say to the parents would be, you know, don't take the time at the dinner table. Don't take the time when you're trying to drop them off at school. You know, set time aside. You know, go, you know, go for a walk together. Go do a volunteer exercise together. Um, go get your nails done together and just let the conversation flow organically. You know, hey, what happened at school this week? Well, what okay. happened with that thing? How are you feeling about that? And then let it kind of ensue from there. Perfect. So, audience, think about your own children and where you're not taking the time to hear what they need to say to you and where you you appear busy or the only time you meet is at the dinner table and then you have the newspaper up in front of your face. Instead, I love I love your idea, Carol. Go out Thank for you. a walk. Do something special together, especially with the girls. You can go have your nails done. Um, I know that can be a real cathartic event with my girls. So we'll be right back. Voice America Women's Channel, a leader in the forward movement of women's success. Linda Patton draws from her four decades of leadership experience and her heartfelt passion to show women how to lead, dream, and create what inspires them. Her signature training programs and workshops will guide you through the key skills you need to own your leadership power, build your resources, plan your path, and take the actions that will translate your vision into reality. Start by scheduling a free, no-obligation, 30-minute strategy session with Linda Patton. Contact her at Linda at DareToDreamWithLinda.com. That's Linda at Dare, the number two, DreamWithLinda.com. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Have you left your corporate or military career to start your own business? Are you frustrated that you're not seeing the success you expected as an entrepreneur? Let leadership expert Linda Patton show you the key skills and mindset you need to engage your team, build your influence, and create the thriving business of your dreams. Linda Patton understands the challenges and frustrations facing a new business owner. Drawing from her own 40 years of experience in the military, corporate, government, and entrepreneurial arenas, That's why it's become Linda's life work to help women like you truly become the world-changing, extraordinary leaders you are meant to be. Are you ready to step in, step up, and step out into leadership to create an exceptional business and life? Start by scheduling a free 30-minute strategy session with Linda Patton. Contact her at Linda at Dare to Lead with Linda.com. That's Linda at Dare, the number two, lead with Linda.com. The Voice America Women's Channel. You are listening to Leadership Stars with Linda Patton. 
To reach the show today, please call 1-866-613-1612. That's 1-866-613-1612. You may also send an email to Linda at daretoleadwithlinda.com. Now, back to Leadership Stars. Welcome back to this segment of Leadership Stars. And I'm here with someone who is just really gotten deep um, in issues that uh, I know were challenging for me when my, my children were, were teens, and that's Carol Langua. Um, and she's talking about um, teens and boys, bullies, body image, self-esteem, and how, in essence, to get your teen to talk to you. Um, I know it's one of the, the more difficult challenges that I faced when, when my girls were, were teens. And what I found, Carol, was that... Um, they wanted to shock me. So they'd say the most provocative things and then look to see how did I react. And most of them I knew, you know, what was going on and, and you know, the, the, the thing that they stated. And so it, it landed sort of heavy mm-hmm. for them. It's like, oh, mom, you already knew that. I go, yeah, I'm mom. Uh, and from that, we talked more yeah. because they couldn't, they couldn't shock me. They yeah. couldn't say something that I didn't already knew or had guessed had happened or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, we, actually, my, my daughters and I talked about this. Um, we, my husband and I went to Paris, and we, our plane got hung up in, in such a way that we had eight hours, an eight-hour layover at home. So they sent us all home. And so I called, and I get my eldest daughter who says, uh, yeah, sure, Mom, I have to pick up my younger sister and drop her off at, at, at a friend's and then I'll be right there. And I go, we're having a party. I can <gasps> tell we're having a party. Um, and so it's funny. You know, about an hour later, she shows up and, you know, everything's fine. And I get to the house and, you know, it nothing looks out of place except uh-huh. for the fact that there's a case of beer in the, in the uh, garage. <laughs> that we didn't buy. Uh, I love and, it. and, you know, everything is calm. And then her, her best friend's mom knocks on the door and I go, Hi, what's going on? She goes, well, is Mary is, is, is uh, my daughter here? And I said, no. Um, she said, well, she's supposed to be spending the night. I went, oh, interesting. But no, she's not here right now. I could ask Jen to see if she knows where she might be on her, on her way here. She goes, no, that's okay. I know where she is. And that was it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and I thought, okay, so we were we everybody was sort of playing. Yeah. The, the, the date but I, I thought it was very interesting because again she thought she was going to shock me yeah. and I went you know I knew what you were doing and I, I asked them later I said did, did you ever have the party and the answer was no we never did it, that was too freaky that you ended up coming home just before the party started so. <laughs> yeah I, and it was interesting that you say shock you because I definitely had a few girls that I interviewed who threw something out mm-hmm. and said it in a very um um, confident, but still immature way, I guess yeah. is the best way to put it. And they would look at me after they threw it out there and I'd say, okay, I, did you want to talk about that topic or do you want to go back to the one we were just, we were just talking about and just finish up there? And then they would, then you could see their face like, oh, okay. So that's like not such a big deal to, to Dr. Carol, you know? And I think it made them realize then there's nothing they're going to say that's going to shock me because I've probably mm-hmm. heard it already by you know people I've done therapy with or a different teen or a different interview exactly exactly it, it sort of deflates that moment there's sort of the sense of yeah. ooh, <laughs> let, let's see what I can do so what what can I do uh, and 
there's almost a sense of being embarrassed that um, they brought it up and that you didn't react. It's like, oh, darn, I really wanted to see her react to that. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think at that moment when that happens in a in an interview with me, they real I think they that's the point at which for some of them they put me in a different bucket. It's oh, okay, so this isn't mom, this isn't mm-hmm. teacher, this is someone who's going to be responding very differently. I haven't had this before. Okay, let's see where this could go. Right. And that's perf- that's a perfect way to be able to get to the more to the root of what's going on. And I think that's why they all wanted to continue the conversation with you, besides the fact that you're a great interviewer. Uh, (laughs) It was so fun. I love talking (laughs) to that age group. I really do. Okay, so let's let's move on to um, more adult work that you're doing now. Sure. Um, y- you've always worked in the feminine space, in all women's mm-hmm. college, women's boot camps, and now you have Empowered Tech, yeah. which is a f- female community. Tell us a little bit about Empowered Tech. Sure. So um, Empowered Tech uh, was basically born last August, so it's really brand new, and it's, as you said, it's a community for women in the tech space where they can come together, where they can talk about issues in, t- in tech, challenges maybe they're facing on their team, looking for guidance, information, resources from other women in a similar space. I have a lot of women, there's 400 members right now, and I have a lot of women who are software engineers. Mm-hmm. So they'll say, you know what, I'm one, I'm the only woman on my software engineering team, or there's only two women on the software engineering team. So for them to come to a community space that's safe to talk to another woman and say, hey, you work at, you know, company X. Oh, are you the only woman on that team? How do you handle this? How do you navigate that? Are you seeing this? What's your experience? So it's a really great, just safe space for them to come together and, and talk about things and then share tools with each other and share resources. They've actually come to the place of sharing job leads now mm-hmm. with their companies because they've gotten so comfortable with each other. They want other people like, oh, come work at my company if you're thinking about you know leaving your company. But um, the reason why it was born is because my previous role where I worked um, as a VP at a coding school in San Francisco, um, I was overseeing all things student life. So that meant student services, career services, and alumni relations. And so my job was to make sure that outside the classroom, the women had everything that they needed to succeed and land that job. Mm-hmm. What we were seeing is that at the end, they kept saying, I need more whiteboarding. No, I, I need more interviewing. I need, um, I need a mentor for this. I need more guidance. I need more practice. And I kept thinking, gosh, this is really interesting. And what we were realizing is that it was coming down to a confidence piece. They were just really nervous or anxious about going for, you know, interviews at company X, Y, and Z. Um, They were afraid of, you know, having to get up and whiteboard in front of, you know, a team of of three males, five males, you know, what have you, and just feeling a little bit uncomfortable and unsure because they were so new to the field. So I said, you know what, we at, you know, at the coding school, we didn't have the the bandwidth to really look at, you know, the confidence, the self-esteem, the Mm -hmm. resilience, the empowerment piece. So I said, let me build something outside of the company and have that space for the women to come together. So um, it's still going strong. Like I said, we have 400 members. All the topics are selected by the women. So when they get together, they talk about issues that are affecting them that they want to have as the next topic of discussion. So it's really exciting because I feel like they are the ones driving it and they, they select the topic. So again, it's really kind of putting it back on them and empowering them. And go ahead. So Carol, I have a real quick question because this is all about leadership, this this whole radio s- series. Um, one of the things that I find is that women 
tend to not step, well, they tend to do one of two things. They either don't step into leadership in, in a situation like that where it's all males and just them, or they step into it with what I call their command voice, um, which comes out of the military, and it's, it's how you give orders and instead of being influential. Are you seeing that kind of lack of confidence as well of, as I, I don't know how to lead in this kind of situation? I, do, I don't want to appear to be a pushy or bossy woman. You know, how do I do that? Do you see that at all? I mean, I think, you know, for a lot of people, you know, we, they are always kind of navigating that. For mm-hmm. some of the women that I had worked with um, at, you know, the coding school, they had come with um, management skills, management mm-hmm. roles. So you knew that they had those skills, but this was a whole different animal kind of walking into, a, you know, an entire team of, you know, software engineers that were all males. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the director of the team was male. Maybe the VP over that division was male. Um, so they were par- already not part of the bro culture. You know, right. the, the, the jokes weren't landing on them. You know, they weren't joking about the same things. They weren't talking about the same. Same TV shows. They weren't being asked, "Hey, let's let's go get a coffee or let's go get a beer." You know, so they had to kind of figure out how to navigate that. And as you said, for some of them, it's you know putting on the command voice or just saying, "Do I really belong here?" Mm-hmm. Which I think is what I've been seeing a lot of, especially with the women in their twenties and thirties. So a space like Empowered Tech is great where they can come together with other women who can say, "Oh, I felt like that seven million times." And yes, we do belong here, and you do belong there. And these are some tips and tools to kind to get you through it and you know if you have any guidance or influence on hiring for the department you know possibly you can get some more so- female software engineers you know into the team or talk to the supervisor or if you feel really comfortable you know going to you know even above your supervisor and talking about you know the lack of female presence on some of these teams in a comfortable way right in mm-hmm. a way that's kind of joining you know not not telling and seeing if there's something you can do um, in, in terms of kind of like the structure of the department or the company itself okay and something else that I've found too okay because I often work with um, job seekers people who've lost their jobs been laid off um, and that kind of thing and one of the things that the women have said to me too is I thought they'd know I wanted that promotion <laughs> um, you, know, I, I, you know, I've done everything I could to show them my skills and, you know, uh, and maybe I l- led the team in a team meeting or whatever it is. And I just thought they'd recognize that I was the ideal candidate for that. And I always ask them the question, so did you raise your hand? Did you say, hi, I, I want job. that job? Um, and well, well, no, I just thought they'd recognize that I could do it. Or, uh, and instead the man who got it was, you know, in, in their faces about mm-hmm. how they wanted it and what they could do and this kind of thing. The other thing I find is that when there is a job opening that they're eminently qualified for, that oftentimes they'll say, oh, no, no, I'm not ready for that. I, I need to know more before, like you said, they need to know more whiteboarding. They need to know more mm-hmm. of all those skills before I could ever possibly apply for that job. And again, we have that whole gender heritage that says you got to be perfect you you know you have to um, know at least 99.9% of the job before you ever ask for it you need to be the support person and that kind of thing whereas the men don't have that uh, if I they know just t- go for it yeah. yeah if I know 10 to 15% of it I'll learn the rest of it or I'll hire great people on my team who know that mm-hmm. so just quickly how do we begin to shift that mindset in women. Well, and um, again, at Empowered Tech, that was actually a topic. We talked about um, 
talking to your boss about better projects and mm-hmm. or getting yourself a raise or a promotion. Like So you could have had one of those three issues or two out of those three issues. And it was interesting because exactly what you're saying, you know, they would say, oh, you know, I, I feel like I'm getting passed over for these projects. Okay, well, let's talk about the scenario. And nine out of 10 times, the woman never said that they wanted that project, never yeah. said it sounded interesting, um, you know, finished up a project for somebody else, never complained about doing that. So they were seen on the team as, oh, well, you know, she's a team player, she's go-to, you can give her these things. Instead of her kind of, you know, having herself stand out, you know, in a different light and say, hey, I know there's this new project coming along, I really would love to kind of jump in on that. So we actually did some practice in the room, helping the women helped each other around language that they could use around mm-hmm. getting, um, getting that better project, talking to their boss about a raise and or a better job title. And they all talked about tools, books, articles they read, language that they use, and they literally just practiced in front of each other. That's how comfortable they are with each other in, in that space. Um, but I mean, I see that nine you know, nine times out of 10 that it's really, it's consistent, it's a problem. And I think the only way to really kind of combat that is to have open dialogue about it. And and like you just said, ask. Yeah. You You cannot expect anyone to just give you anything. You know, I also, you know, I also think it has a lot to do with who you are as an individual. You know, growing up, my parents always said to me, be independent be strong and don't expect anyone to give you handouts. And it wasn't said in this kind of negative derogatory. It was said to like build me up to say, you know, you have to put yourself forward. You have to ask, you know, questions and raise your hand. And, you know, I feel like in a lot of our meetings with the women, we just kind of go over those, um, those skills. And it's really great because the one woman who actually said that she wasn't getting good projects came back the next week and yeah. said, you're not even going to believe it. I talked to my supervisor. I talked about the projects. He was completely shocked and said he was so sorry. She kept taking on these projects in a particular area. So he thought that she was enjoying them. And she said, oh, I would really love to kind of, you know, you know, utilize my skills in this area. And then he said, great, the next project that comes up, it's yours. And it was a very easy conversation, but it was something that was bothering her for three months. Right. And, and we always think, well, they'll never give it to me. So why bother? Right. Uh, and yet, as you, as you mentioned, when you do have that conversation, usually the reaction is, oh, I didn't know, mm-hmm. because we don't share that with them. Um, Carol, like you, my, my parents basically said, you got to go for it. You've, you've got to step out. You've got to be, um, you can't be hidden, because otherwise you become what I, a word I hate, which is indispensable. Mm. And you'll never get a promotion or a shift in in position because they rely so heavily on you, they couldn't possibly do without you, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So in our last minute, how about you share with the audience um, how to get your book and any last tip you might have? Okay, great. Um, And thank you so much, Linda, for this. This has been a a wonderful experience. I really appreciate it. You're very welcome. And uh, and I was going to thank you, too. (laughs) um, So let's see. Um, So I have a blog that shares tips and tools and resources for parents and teens. So I have articles for both populations. And that's literally just www.drdr-carol.com. And on my site, there's a huge resource section where you can download podcasts. And my book is available. And I have links to other other resources and books if there's something else that they're looking for. Um, also, the book is available uh, on Amazon. So again, it's just Girl Talk, Boys, Bullies, and Body Image. 
Okay, and I wish we had more time because I'd love to talk to you about your second book, but it has been a delight to have you on the, on the show, and I thank you so very much for all of your wisdom, all of your insight, and all the work that you're doing with women because it's very vital for us to make huge changes in the world and change the fabric of how we do business and how we live in this world um, from now on. And so, audience, if you'd like to hear more from me, um, do send me an email at Linda at Dare, the number two, lead with Linda. And until next week, be courageous and dare to lead. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to Leadership Stars. Please join Linda Patton for another engaging edition of our program next Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Women's Channel. We'll feature another noted leader next week.